where I was planning on going this morning, which is where we'll be, Hebrews chapter 10. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, if you will. And uh, we are going to start a new series this morning called Faith Is. All right, Faith Is. And before we dive into that, let me give you just a word on kind of where we've been and where we're going. Really, for the better part of the last two months, we have talked pretty extensively about discipleship. All right, you've heard that word a lot, probably over the last few weeks. And uh, I just want to be like really clear in that just because we're moving on into a new sermon series, that doesn't mean that we're moving on from discipleship. Okay, we're not like it's not like that ship has sailed and now we're moving on to something else. Okay, um, right. Our hope is that discipleship would become like the, the culture here. Okay, not just a, an add-on program that we focus on a few months of the year, but like it would become foundational to everything that we do. So I say all that to say this, just because you don't hear the word explicitly, like discipleship uh, in today's sermon or, or over the next few weeks in a new sermon series, doesn't mean that we've kicked it to the curb. It's in the rearview mirror, right? We're, we're actually putting some, some structures in place to make that uh, the culture of, uh, of the ministry here at Valley Creek, not just an add-on program, if you're tracking with me. So uh, that's the plan. Um, that's where we've been, and then, and then the plan coming up for the next few weeks ahead is we're going to continue this series, Faith Is, uh, ideally, all the way up through Easter, okay? And so the question that we're con- kind of addressing is, is, what is faith, all right? That's the, uh, that's the idea. What is faith? Because we use that word faith a lot, okay? We, uh, it's kind of the, part of our Christianese language or lingo, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, we use that word at the... Bottom line, like what is faith? And, and more specifically, right, how do we take that out of this sort of ethereal, theoretical idea and, and into the practical, everyday uh, decisions that we make, how we live our lives? Okay, so that's, that's the goal of this series over the next few weeks is, is to take this idea of faith right, out of just, it's not just an idea, but, but how does it affect us day to day in the lives we live. So that's uh, the goal of this series, and, and we're going to kick that off this morning in the book of Hebrews. Like I said, I'm just going to warn you up front. Okay, Hebrews is a fascinating book, right? If you uh, if you've ever read through Hebrews, like it's so full of just man. There's depth and richness, and it kind of pulls some of the things you read in the Old Testament together with what we read in the New Testament. And so it is a dense book. And so I'm just going to be upfront and say that. There is no way that I can possibly get like through the, the, all that's there in these few verses this morning. Okay, because there is so much there. Um, in fact, the hardest part for me this week in sermon prep was I struggled and wrestled. I was like, what am I going to leave on the cutting board? I want to say all of this. And if I do, we will be here for three hours. And you guys don't want that. Okay, so... Um, my hope is that what we'll see here will get us like, kick-started for the weeks to come as we consider um, what does faith look like at a, at a practical, everyday level. So before we read, let me give you some context for the book of Hebrews. Um, the audience was a, uh, as, as far as we know, was most likely a group of Jewish Christians, hence the name Hebrews. Okay? And what I mean by that is these were people that, that once followed sort of the, um, the Old Covenant, Old Testament law, uh, but once Jesus came on the scene, they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And they, uh, they declared him, you know, they say, he is the Messiah. We believe, we follow him. So these are once Jewish you know, observers of the law, and now they've uh, converted to following 
Jesus. Okay, and with that uh, came some, there, like there was some some persecution that came with that because under, uh, and this is part of the purpose of the letter under. Uh, the, kind of the Roman law, like the Jewish people had some protections under, uh, under the Roman government. But, but to be a follower of Jesus or a follower of the way was to lay the, some of those protections aside uh, and, and actually to accept persecution. Okay, and so the purpose of the letter to the Hebrews is he's writing, and you'll read, you know, well, you see some of this uh, today is as he's encouraging them to, to keep persevering and enduring and, and don't turn back, right? Don't turn your back on, uh, on this faith, on this, this, your trust in Jesus, like your commitment to Jesus. Don't turn away from it because he is better. If you read all the way through Hebrews up to this point, um, it's just the reoccurring theme is that Jesus is better. Jesus is greater, okay? And so I, I think this is a good word for us today, okay, because, um, Listen, I, I don't watch the news a lot. You may think more of me or less of me. I just don't watch a lot of the news. But I know enough to know that um, it's likely not going to get any easier to be a Christian in America in the years to come, the weeks to come, the months to come. I don't, I don't know. And, and so where the audience of the letter, like they were being persecuted in the sense of, I mean, being beaten, imprisoned, arrested, even being sentenced to death, some of them. I, I don't know that we'll face that necessarily uh, in, in the way that they did or in the way that some of our brothers and sisters do in other parts of the world right now. But the reality is, is I think it's going to be harder to be a Christian in America in the weeks and months and years to come. And that's not a political statement. That's just a general statement. Okay. Jesus himself said right, that you will be persecuted. Like, don't be surprised when it happens. And so I think this is a good word for us today because the message for them was to keep on uh, hold on, keep the faith, right? Jesus is better. Don't turn back. Don't let go. Like endure and persevere. And I think that's a word that we're going to need. Right? It's a word that we're going to need. So this is a good word for us today. All right. So with that said, Hebrews chapter 10, I'll read through it and then we'll, we'll jump back and, and look at a couple of things. Starting in verse 19, author says this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, so the first word in this is therefore. We've talked about this before here, but anytime you see the word therefore, whatever came before it is important. And so, again, if you were to read through up, uh, read through Hebrews up to this point, what you'd see is the, the author is making this point that Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Specifically, remember his audience is Jewish Christians that, that were at least familiar with or maybe observed the old covenant, the sacrificial system, the, the law. And so his point all the way up to this point has been right, Jesus is, is better than all these Old Testament sacrifices. He is the ultimate sacrifice. Right? Jesus is better than 
uh, the priests that you read about and, and, and all that in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus is uh, our high priest. And you see this language a lot in the book of Hebrews. And so uh, even in these few verses, you kind of see some of that, right? That, that Jesus is a, a better or, or more sufficient sacrifice. That's what the author writes in, in verses 19 and 20, right? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, right? So the, the author is talking about entering the holy places. And, and again, to make this connection to some of the things we read about in the Old Testament, um, he's making this, this, uh, this image of the, the, the tabernacle or the temple. And, and what there was there is there's this place there called the Holy of Holies, right? The most holy place. And, and some of you may know this. Um, if not, it's review for all of us. Right? This was a place, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was, was like, that's where it dwelt among his people. Okay? Now, the only issue was, right, not everyone was allowed access into the Holy of Holies. Right? It was actually only reserved for the high priest. And even that, the high priest could only go in once a year. So once a year, the high priest would go in, he'd have to go through all this ritual cleansing and offer sacrifices for himself, and then he would go in and offer sacrifices uh, for the people, for all of God's people. He would atone for their sins, right? He was the only one allowed into their presence. But what the author is saying here is that because Jesus was a better sacrifice, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, that now there's, there's no longer a curtain, right? There's no longer uh, anything that separates us from, from being able to have uh, fellowship with God, Right? In Christ, there's nothing that separates us. Like our sin does separate us, but, but if we are in Christ, right, if we have trusted in Christ, if we are followers of Jesus, there is nothing that separates us from having direct access to God. That is good news. Right? We're not relying on uh, some other sinful person to kind of intercede for us. We have full access to the creator of the universe because of what Jesus did for us. Right? And then he goes on and uh, he also talks about in verse 21. It says, and since we have a high priest over the house of God. Right? He's talking about uh, Jesus is a better priest than the Old Testament, Old Covenant priests. What I mean by that is, so the priests were limited because just like the people, they were right, they're sinful human beings. Right? The Old Testament priests or Old Covenant priests, they were only allowed to go in uh, to the Holy of Holies once a year. Right? And even at that, they had to, again, do all the, the, the rituals, the cleansing and the atoning for their own sins before they could go in and intercede for God's people. And what the author is saying here is like, no, Jesus is a better high priest. Because right? Jesus, uh, he doesn't have to cleanse himself off. Right? He's not inter to, in order to intercede for us, he doesn't have to clean himself up first. He's perfect and sinless. Right? And then the old covenant priests were limited in that uh, eventually their ministry came to an end, right? Again, they're finite human beings. And yet here we have Jesus as a better, a greater priest, right? Because Jesus, there is no end to his ministry, right? The, the author says that we, we enter into the most holy place by a new and living way. Jesus is alive, right? All the, the old covenant priests would pass away and then their role would go on to somebody else, but that's not the case with Jesus, right? Jesus intercedes for us continually because he's seated now at the right hand of the Father. And so if you are in Christ, 
you, you have Jesus continually interceding, pleading your case before God the Father. All right, so the author's point up to this is that, that Jesus is better. All right, and and the, the point of this is to say that, that Jesus is central to our faith. This faith that the author of Hebrews is calling them uh, to endure in and persevere in is a Christ-centered faith. That's the title for the sermon today, right? Faith is Christ-centered. Before we talk about all the different implications and how it plays out in our life on a day-to-day basis, the first thing we've got to know and be rooted in is the reality that faith is Christ-centered. Our faith is not in us, right? Our faith is not in our own ability to do this or that. It's not in our own resources. Our faith is not in uh, our own Uh, perceived power or strength. Our faith is not in our obedience or our works. Our faith is not even in the amount of our faith. Our faith is in the object of our faith, and the object of our faith is Jesus. Our our faith is Christ-centered. He he is the only source of of confidence and assurance that we have before God the Father is Jesus. So now that we've established where faith is rooted, right, what it's built on. And what I'm going to do is, is draw out just a couple things for us uh, and what it means for us in response. Okay, to say that our faith is Christ-centered. Okay, now how do we live in response to that? So let's go to verse 22. All right, the, I love when the Bible makes things really clear and simple for us. And so we kind of see that in this text. Like our response is just, there's three statements and they all begin with, let us. This is what we are to do in response. So verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the author is saying that because of what Christ has done for us, because of what Jesus has accomplished for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection, we can draw near to God Remember, there's, there's no more curtain. There's no more, there's no more separation between us and God if we are in Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for us, by faith in him, we can draw near with full assurance that all of our sins, past, present, future, have been forgiven, fully, paid for, because of Jesus. Right? This is what uh, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter. Right? The, the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, is that because of what Christ has done for us, we can draw near to God, right, into his presence with confidence. Right? We don't have to enter into, presence, into his presence like hesitantly or, or sheepishly or just like, ugh, like afraid we're going to be found out. Right? Because of Jesus, we get to enter in with boldness and with confidence and with full assurance that every sin Sins of omission, things that we didn't do that we should have done. Sins of commission, things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. All of those fully forgiven and paid for through Jesus. By his blood is what what the author of the letter says. It's good news. If we can be honest, isn't it like this underlying fear that we have that, I mean, we would never admit it, but there's, if we're honest, there's like this underlying fear that, I mean, if God really knew me, if God just really knew, like, the depths of my thoughts, right, 
then he probably wouldn't be so inviting or welcoming. And, and what this tells us, I mean, that's just not true. Listen, because first of all, God does know you. God knows everything about you, right? Before the foundations of the world, God knew you. Before, uh, before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. Right? He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you, every word, every thought, every deed that could be attributed to you. He knows it. Right? He, he knew, uh, just like he knew Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden, he, he knows where we might be trying to hide in here this morning. And, and I mean, he knows everything about us. And, and that might even be scary to you if you're sitting here. But the good news is this. Right, Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, right, while he, he still knew like the, the evil that was in our hearts, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The good news of the gospel is that and God knows the worst of you and he still offered his son as a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, to pay the full penalty for all of your sins, past, present, future. And because of that, because of the blood of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, because of his resurrection, you can come to God with full assurance and full confidence. Right? That your, your, your standing before God is not based on you. It's based on what Jesus did for you. So you come with confidence and you come with assurance. You don't have to be hesitant because of Jesus. If you're coming to God through Jesus, like you have nothing to be afraid of. That's good news this morning. That's good news. Like you, you, you don't stand in front of, in Christ, you don't stand in front of a judge anymore. He's a, he's a father, a loving father. Right, but drawing near is not the only encouragement from the text because there's a couple more let us statements here. So look at verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. All right, so the, the second thing is this, is that faith in Jesus holds fast to hope. All right, so because of what Christ has done for us, we not only have confidence and assurance to stand in God's presence because of, what, because of Jesus, we, we have not just full assurance and confidence that all of our sins are forgiven, but we have full assurance and confidence that God will sustain us. Right, now, remember the original audience here. Jewish Christians who, who by converting to Christianity gave up the comforts and the, some of the protection of being Jewish. And they said, no, we're following Jesus because we believe he's the Messiah. We believe he is, we believe he is the way. And the, the temptation for them, right? the reason they're receiving this letter is because there was a temptation to kind of like jump back into their former way of life, right? To, to leave sort of the Jewish tradition and to be Christian was to like bring on pain and, and persecution and struggle and, uh, right? And, and the temptation would have been, man, this is a lot. What if we just went back to where we were? Wouldn't it at least be a lot more comfortable, okay? And so the, the author is writing this letter to them to say, hey, no, don't turn back. Persevere, endure, and even uses the word uh, without wavering. Right? Let us hold fast without wavering. Because it would have been easy for them 
to turn around and go back to where they were. Right? When, you're, I mean, when you're faced uh, with, with seeing people that, that you know being arrested, being imprisoned, being beaten, being uh, persecuted, being like, murdered, how easy would it be to say, you know what, that's a little much for me. I'm going to go back to where I was. Right? And, and the point of the letter here is just, no, don't, don't turn back. Right? Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. The, the language there is this idea of like gripping onto something tightly so that you don't lose it. And that's what the author is encouraging them to do. Hold on tightly to your faith in Jesus. Don't let it slip away. Right? Even though their life circumstances were less than stable, the author is still challenging them to hold fast without wavering. And, and they do this not by focusing on their own circumstances, right, but by looking to the promises of God that are made available to them in Christ. Remember, this is faith in Christ. This is where all this starts. Right? The author is saying, you know, don't look at what's going on around you. Look to Jesus. Look to the promises of God. Because right? that's what's going to sustain them. Right? They've been promised an eternal reward. Right? They've been promised uh, a, a hope that extends far beyond just what they could see. Right? And the reality is, is for us, like, that's what we've been promised. So I just want to ask you, like, do you believe God's promises to you? And I don't mean like, do you just believe that God has made promises to you? I mean like, do you really believe that God, what, what God has promised for you? Okay, and, and I'm going I'm to push even further. All right? E- even like the promises that, that are, that are kind of hard to hear. I mean, we all love like Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you. Like we're all get on board for that. Yes, I believe that. Right, but what about stuff like, this is Romans 8.18. What about, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do we really believe that the suffering that we experience here and now is nothing compared to what God has for us? I think of what we prayed about this morning. I think of what Pam is going through. Right, could, we, could we say where she is that whatever I'm experiencing right now is not worth comparing with what God has for me in the future? Right, or like, What about when, when God's promises come to us on the far side of suffering? You see what I'm saying? Do we still believe them then? Right, Romans 8, 28. For those who love God, all things work together for good. Well, what about when all things are not pleasant things? Do we still believe? What about when all things include rejection and pain and suffering and persecution? Do you still believe God's promises to you? Because that's where the original audience found themselves. Now, will the same things happen to us? Will we face the same things they face? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But, but, but the point is that despite what's going on around us, our confidence is not what's going on around us. Our confidence is a God in a God who is the same yesterday and today and forever, without wavering. That's where our confidence is. And so, because of that, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promises is faithful. And the, the third thing is this. This is verse 24. 
hands. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the third thing is this. Faith in Jesus considers others. Right? So I want to be kind of brief here because I think like what we'll do over the next few weeks is we'll begin to see a lot more of this, how faith considers others and lives in relationship to others. But, but the point here is like, so the first two, you know, let us, um, let us draw near, let us hold fast. Those are kind of more vertical elements of faith. And then here we kind of turn more horizontal. Right? So faith is, yes, it's first Christ-centered. Faith is about our relationship with God through Christ. But faith also has this horizontal element to it in how we, uh, relate to one another, right? how we um, come together, how we worship together, how we serve one another, how we love one another. There's a, a horizontal relational element to our faith here. And, and as I said, we'll cover that more in the weeks to come, but I just want to make a couple general sort of comments about this. Is, um, considering others is evidence of genuine faith. Right? This is what Jesus says in John 13, right, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love for one another. Right, so, so Jesus himself linked right, our love for others or our relationships with others with our faith in him. Right? In a, in a very real way, like our faith in Christ is only as strong as our love for other people. Right? So faith, real faith, genuine faith, biblical faith, saving faith, considers others. Right? And the other thing is this, Christ-centered faith can't be self-centered. Right? This is what Paul writes, Philippians 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So when we place our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and what we're doing is we are acknowledging, believing that Jesus has accomplished all that needs to be accomplished for me to have acceptance and approval before God. And here's the deal. That frees us up to love and serve and encourage other people. Because, like, whether we admit it or not, we all kind of like to compare our lives to other people. Right? As long as I'm doing better than this person, as long as my life looks a little more put together than this person, then I'm okay. Like, like human nature is we kind of judge where we're at by how we compare to other people. And yet the gospel tells us that your acceptance before God, your approval before God, has nothing to do with how you compare to other people. It's what Jesus has done for you. Do you believe what Jesus has done for you? Do you believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins? If so, then then that's your acceptance before God. So you no longer have to compare yourselves to others to make sure you measure up or you're one step ahead. And that, that's liberating because that frees you up to love them and to serve them. You're no longer in competition with anybody. Right? Jesus has earned for you everything that you need. And so you're freed up to love and serve and encourage and 
Because you're not worried about how, how your life stacks up to somebody else. They are no, they're no threat to you. So you love and you serve and you're encouraged. This is what, um, encourage, sorry. This is what the author is, is writing here. Right? And we do that because it's what Jesus first did for us. Right? Jesus first loved us. Jesus first served us. And our response, right, in, in real, genuine faith, our response to what Jesus has done for us is to do that for other people, to love and serve and encourage. So here's where I want to kind of bring us to today, all right? Like I said, there is so much depth in Hebrews and even this passage. Um, there's a lot. But, but I want to bring us to kind of three questions for you to consider uh, before we are, are dismissed today. Okay, and that is, here's the first one. Can you draw near to God with confidence and full assurance? Right, can, and I'm, I don't mean that, that as a general statement, like, yes, the Bible said you can. I mean, you, can you draw near to God with full assurance and confidence? And what I'm, really what I mean by that is, have you placed your trust in Jesus? Because that's the only way for you to have full confidence. That's the only way for you to have full assurance that all your sins have been paid for is through Jesus. So my question for you is, is, have you done that? Have you trusted in Jesus? Do you have full assurance and confidence to draw near to God because of what Jesus has done for you? And if you don't have that confidence, you don't have that assurance, your first step today is to trust in Jesus. We're going to pray and sing here in just a minute. There'll be a time for you to respond. That's a great time for you to, and to talk to one of us or if you want to pull us aside after service and say like, hey, I have some questions about that. That's what we're here for. All right, but that's the first step. Before any of the rest of this makes sense, you've got to draw near to God, not based on what you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you. All right, so do you have... Can you draw near with full assurance and confidence? My second question is this, is where have you placed your hope? Where have you placed your hope? Right. We are tempted to place our hope in a million different things other than Jesus. Right. We live in a, a culture, we live in a place here in America, like you shouldn't feel bad about living in America. This is where God has you. For this, like, right, Acts 17, this is where God has placed you, okay? But the reality is, is we're surrounded by so many comforts that it becomes easy for us to place our hope in other things that were never meant to be the sources of hope. And so we can put our hope in lesser things like our careers or the, the comforts and conveniences of, of wealth and possessions. We can put our confidence in kind of our own sort of uh, good behavior or our own sort of religious uh, actions and, and rituals, Okay, and the reality is that these things are, are wavering. Right? When your life starts to fall apart, when the doctor come, comes in and gives you the report you didn't want to hear, right? when you get the phone call that devastates you, career and wealth and money and status will not sustain you. Because they were never meant to. They were never meant to. So where is your hope? Where is your hope? I just plead with you to place your hope in Christ 
and in God's promises to you. And the third question is this. How does your faith consider others? So as you consider kind of how you interact maybe with with other people throughout the week, maybe other people that are in this room or um, other people that, that might not be here but are normally here, how are you loving and serving others here? Right, the, the encouragement here is to let us consider how to, to encourage and stir one another up to good works and, and love and serve. Like, how are you doing that? Who are you reaching out to? If you look around the room, who's somebody here that, that might just need an encouraging word and you're the person that should give them that encouraging word? Right, when, when was the last time that you... Uh, just ask someone, hey, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I pray for you? Right? Because that's what we're being called to here. Right? To stir one another up, to love and good works, to encourage one another. Right? As we meet together, like this is a place for us to do that. So, man, what if this week, imagine how much better everyone's week here would be if they got an encouraging word from someone else here in the room. How good would that be? Right? Like this is what we're called to. This to consider others. So this is what true, genuine, biblical faith is. Right? It is centered on Jesus. It It is built on what he has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection while also considering the people that that God in his sovereignty is placed around us and serving them in the same way that Jesus has served us. Right? This is what faith is. And I am excited to talk more about it in the weeks to come. So would you guys pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and um, just as we sing about, Lord, that I pray that our lives would be centered on you. And so as we consider this idea of faith, I pray that Uh, we would see you first as the the most central and foundational object of our faith. Maybe there's someone here this morning that's never put their trust in you as the object of their faith. Maybe there's someone here this morning that's never truly repented of their sins and placed their trust in what you accomplished for them on the cross. And so I pray, Father, that if if there is someone here that, that, that that's them, I pray that they would step forward that they would step into that confidence and, and assurance that they have, not because of them, but because of what you did for them in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would, you would help us or to look to you. Whatever, whatever we're going through right now, whatever life might throw at us in the, the days and weeks to come, I pray that our hope would be anchored in who you are and what you have done and in the promises from your word, and then I pray, Father, that we would not be so focused on ourselves or focused on um, making sure that we're taken care of, that we forget the people that you've placed around us. So, Father, help us to to center our faith on you, uh, to live that out uh, in ways that the people around us can also uh, experience. So, Father, we love you. We pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.